All right. Well, let's um, let's go ahead and get started, and um, let me pray for us, and we'll get we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together to think about just war and uh, what that means. We pray you give us wisdom as we wrestle with difficult uh, issues and topics, and grant us wisdom. We pray. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, so what we're talking today is um, is just add battle. So, um, and uh, for my Latin students in here, I've got three Latin students in here today. So. Yeah, you don't get out of it when you're a church guy. Sorry. So, um, so, uh, so, what what do y'all think juice or just or use is? Just justice. Yeah, justice. Right. And then bellum, war. Right. Bellum is war. And then we have ad, which is essentially um, to. Is the is justice ju- yeah, justice to war, right to war. Is that so? And so that's the whole idea: is, um, who has the right to go to war? Who has the right to declare war? And so um, this raises a whole host of um, of issues. And I have my sermon here, but all my written notes. Hold on. Yeah. So. Tell me, it's just that kind of morning, you know. All right, so, um, yeah. So as uh, so, um, uh, so as we so as we get into so, what are some things that you can think of when you're thinking about the topic, not of just conduct in war, as in how we engage in it, but just talking about should we go to war, the right to go to war. So, what are some questions that that may rise up for us as we think about that? Okay, yeah, so, so what's the result? Uh, what, what's, the, you know, what's the result of, of us making war? Right? So we'll bring more good or harm. Okay? Usually the idea of self-defense comes into play. Self-defense, yeah. So, yeah, because that's a reason to go to war, right? So, uh, the, yeah, defense. Defense, and um, a lot of times to uh, add to that, you know, um, you know, is war our first option? You know, or is it our last resort? Right. Is the party that we're considering uh, going against have they or are they guilty of a uh, of a crime? Yeah. Is is the enemy guilty of something against us? And further, what's another question you want to ask if you're about to go to war with somebody? <laughs> are you guilty? Though there, well, you could say yeah, 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 um, or us. You mean should we? Yeah, like yeah, huh? Are you willing to die? Are we? Yeah, are we willing to die? Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, uh, willing to die? What are you willing to give up to die for it? How far are you willing to go? That last one is a, is really a key thing because yeah. if, if you start it, are you willing to? Finish yeah. it and whatever that. Whatever yeah. Finished, you know, you know, yeah. What is and, and yeah, what is finishing and can you win? 
<laughs> so, you know, like, right? So, so, uh, so these are all these are all questions um, that you ask as you, as you go th- as we go through this, and so. Um, so go ahead and bring up these these topics that are the most common topics that come up with just cause. You have proper authority. Who has the right to declare war? Um, uh, what about uh, you know the just cause? Is they have a right cause for going to war? And and then the right intent. Then like what are you saying? What is your intention? What is your goal? What is the ideal outcome here as you approach war? Um, is it a last resort or are you just kind of Going to war willy nilly just because you're the you're you're the big dog and you can do it. Um, proportionality, um, you know they you know they um, you know they they uh, you know they 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 shot one of our our military contractors so we nuke them. You know like how, what is our what is the appropriate response here as we think about um, how we go? What what are we prepared to do? And then um, and then also do we have a reasonable chance of success? Not a guaranteed outcome, but do we have a reasonable chance of success? And so, and so we're going uh, to go through these. And, and the first thing we're going to talk about is uh, proper authority. Now, um, does anybody remember the three different views that we talked about that generally, when you think about war, we kind of break it into these broad, these three different views of war, whether or not you should go to war. Does anyone, um, or can anyone think of a big view that says, that says, I mean, we're talking about big perspective. Yeah. So war is always wrong. Right, yeah, so war is always wrong, and, and that's the, the pacifist view, right? That no matter what, you, you don't take up arms, no matter what. And, that's, and, and we're talking about from a Christian perspective, right? So, yeah, so, yeah, so you have, um, so you have the pacifist view, and, um, and then, uh, what's, what, can anyone um, name kind of the exact, like, polar opposite of the pacifist view? Total domination, yeah, um, or even that we're talking about from Christian religious perspectives, uh, we talked about holy war, right? We talk about holy war, and what is holy war? What do we mean by that? Make everybody your religion. Make religion, and, and huh? In defense of your religion. In defense of your religion, and then and then also in the and, and in the Old Testament, it was. Directly commanded by God, right? That's different, though. And so, and so that's yeah. Well, and that's what actually that that is that is primarily what we're it will be dealing with when we talk about holy war. Is that um, is that is that is those times where God directly commands to go to war? But more more popularly, like you were saying, there is that type of holy war which we mostly associate now with Islam. Where they rage holy war, but the question is, are they right to do so? Do they actually have just authority to declare war um, on behalf of God? Um, that's the question, and so um, and so uh, so we're going to get into each of these because the question again is, um, who has the right to go to war? And then the, and then <clears throat> what we're dealing with here is I'm just going to put the initials here. Um, it's just war theory. So uh, pacifist, holy war, and then just war theory. And so those are the three primary views. There are certainly gradations and variations of all of these, but those are the three major ones. So let's deal with holy war first. Um, so, uh, so 
uh, the, so they're um, so under the view of holy war, um, the church uh, and we're talking uh, can declare war um, uh, and direct the government officials to wage war. And so they, we're thinking of medieval Europe. Um, we're thinking of you know the the, the Holy Roman Empire, that kind of thing. Um, uh, now, um, war can be declared on unbelievers simply over their unbelief in the holy war view. And so, now, uh, so can um, can someone uh, can someone read the First Samuel um, fifteen one through three? You can grab your Bible if you want. It may be hard to read from uh, from up there on the slide. All right, go for it. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over the people, over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way. When they came up out of Egypt. Now go strike Amalek. Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, and child, and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So in the Old Testament, you know, holy war um, was prescribed by God himself. Right? He declared it. Um, and so in war, in that case, often meant it was an, a means of, like, why does he say that you, you're going to go to war? Well, not just, yeah, occupy the land, but also what? Said. Because he said, and then what are they going to do? They're going to get rid of all the other yeah. religions, really. And yeah. And, yeah. And so, they're, and so they're, it's a punishment against Amalek, right? And what he did. So this is also a judgment from God, a temporal judgment from God against Amalek and, uh, and, the, and the evils that he and his people had done to the Israelites. Um, and so when, when they were coming out of Egypt... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And later on in Habakkuk, he says, "I'm using Babylon as my instrument of judgment against you." <laughs> so, right. so you know, God will use people as ju- as instruments of judgment, but He declares it. Um, uh, war was never something that Israel was supposed to just decide to do on its own because it just wanted to. Uh, and just because they wanted to increase their borders or things like that. So there was pres- uh, specific prescriptions uh, for war. Uh, the prophets, like Samuel, come. Do the prophets have authority to declare war? No. No, not, not on their own, right? They are simply messengers from God. So they, they don't have authority to go take up the sword more than, the, than, than anyone else does. And they can't just say, well, it's time to go to war unless the Lord tells them to. And so they would communicate to the government on behalf of God. Here's what God wants you to do. All right. And so. OK, so uh, so that's uh, so that's looking that. So I was thinking through um, uh, thinking through a bit on, on just on just war. And um, so we're going to move. I'm not following all the slides exactly. So let's move over to the um, pacifist view and. Um, now for this, let's see here. I'm going to pull, pull up the passage here. So um, for this, it says, And behold, one of those um, who, who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck 
the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Now, um, uh, Matt in his, in his notes here, he, he says, you know, he's, he's, he argues that... Now, this passage has been um, often cited, at least part of this passage has been often cited as a reason to never go to war. Those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. So there, and Jesus said it, so therefore... Christians should never go to war. Um, but it, um, but Matt, as Matt argues, and I agree with him, is that um, this is not about whether or not you should take up the sword. This is about who has the authority to take up the sword. And so, um, and so in, in what, um, and so who, who has, who, who does not have authority to take up the sword in this passage? Peter. Peter. Yeah, Peter does not have the authority to take up the sword, right? Who does have the authority to take up the sword? Jesus. Jesus has the authority to take up the sword. And what swords he has at his disposal, correct? Twelve legions of angels is the largest Roman unit that, of, uh, that they would use. I mean, he's talking about thousands of, uh, of angelic beings wielding weapons. I mean, that's just, that's a pretty, that's a serious sword to be able to bear, the question is, why doesn't Jesus bear the sword here? The scriptures must be fulfilled. Regarding what? Yeah. So he says, look, does, is it because they don't deserve it? No. Is it because in terms of justice they, that Jesus shouldn't because it's always wrong to take up the sword? No. It's because... He's holding back, he's sheathing his sword in meekness that he may fulfill his role as the Messiah, right? And how does this, and because compare this, uh, this passage to Revelation 19. Does anyone know what picture Revelation 19 gives us um, uh, of Jesus? It's a very different picture than this. Yeah, he's riding on a horse. He's got... Essentially, a tattoo on his leg that says "King of Kings and Lord of Lords." He's got a sword coming in his mouth. He's got his robe is dipped in the blood of his enemies. Right? It's a very different picture, and so there is a time then where Jesus will bear the sword, and that's a picture of the the word of judgment, the sword of judgment, because the sword comes out of his mouth. Symbol. The scripture also tells us that Jesus is, you know, the Word made flesh, and it also says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just all these um, things we learn in literature and writing too. But I mean, the Bible recruits itself and it gives us these things yeah. for visual learners. I mean, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So yeah, Jesus is the Word, and um, and the Word is sharper than a two-edged sword. And then we have this picture of Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth, and and Revelation nineteen. He's sovereign in, in both cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's sovereign in both. Sovereign there. He's yeah. So, so what you're saying then, if I understand you right, you know, so in this case, Jesus is speaking to what we know is Peter. Yeah. And this is about this particular situation. He's not standing here declaring these are the rules to live by every day, uh, yeah. you know, going forward. Yeah. He's talking about right then and right there. Yeah. Put mm-hmm. your sword up. 
Yeah, and 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 so and he and if there is something we can learn from this passage, it would be that violence is not like a penchant towards violence should not be is not a part of the Christian character, right? Our first instinct should not be to grab our swords or our weapons and and go in guns blazing, right? That's that's not the that's not that's if we're going to take a principle from that, but it shouldn't be never violence or never like military service or things like that because. Um, I mean, for one example, practical example is, you know, um, you know, how many Roman soldiers, you know, centurions did Jesus rebuke for their military service? Zero. Right. How many did the apostles rebuke? Zero. We don't have any historical records of, you know, um, of people, you know, um, just abandoning. Some did. Some left the Roman legions, you know, um, when they converted. But it wasn't because they weren't allowed to take up the sword. So. I can't put my finger on it, but it's here somewhere. Jesus mm-hmm. told him, fuck to sell your robe and buy a sword. Yeah. And I said, well, we got two of them. So he knew that Peter had that sword. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, and that's where he was getting, talking about kind of the, the nature of the time, where it's going to be combative and hostile, and right? And so, yeah. yeah. Be ready. Yeah, be ready. So, so it's not that, um, and so the pacifist view is not really one that we can, that, that we can go with even if we are sympathetic, but we can learn from and we can agree that um, that uh, the Christian should not embrace violence as a as a part of our character. So. Um, so the question, though, that comes is, um, uh, is, uh, is God the only one that is authorized to take up the sword? So if it is he the only one, is Jesus the only one? Does does anyone have the authority to take up the sword? Not on his own. What do you mean? Well, it's saying is there any is there any is there anybody other than God that's allowed to bear the sword, to wield yes. the sword? Yeah. Yeah. So government bears the sword. Right. So you're talking about people. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, it, well, it just depends. I left it vague on purpose. So, 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 yeah, so, so, but yeah, so, so you're both right in the sense that um, individuals are not called to seek their own vengeance, right? To take up the sword themselves and to go and just attack people and kind of become vigilantes. Um, but, uh, but also, um, but we are told in the scriptures that uh, the government has the authority to take up the sword. And what book, what book of the Bible might we turn to to find a passage for this? Romans 13. So R- Romans 13 says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Uh, would you have no fear of the one who ha- is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out uh, the uh, God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So, based on this passage, who has authority to bear the sword? And where does that authority come from? God, right? And so if, you're, if the authority... To bear the sword comes from God, then who is the government accountable to? God, right? Because authority is derivative. It's not, and so this is a, this is a very different picture of, for instance, 
um, if you look at the way that our Constitution is written and the way that um, uh, the way that the uh, say the uh, the, the what's it? Can't remember the exact right, but the, anyway, the, the, uh, the, the, from the French Revolution, their their Declaration, how they put it together, um, and uh, and so essentially they say, look, the government invents the rights, the government gives them out, they come from the government, whereas whereas the American Constitution says the government recognizes the rights that are inherent to people that are given to them by God, right. And so the government does not grant rights. The government does not invent rights. It, rec- it doesn't have that authority to do that. Right? And, so, uh, and so that's the big difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution is how centered the French Revolution is on the authority of the government in and of itself to invent rights, to be the source of rights, whereas we say the source of human rights actually comes from God. Uh, so, and even though I, I do understand that many of the founders um, weren't evangelical believers, that they're theistic rationalists, whatever label we want to put on them now, they still believed in a Christian heritage and a, a, as a necessity for the foundation for a, um, for a republic and for a people that operated with freedom and liberty. So um, now... Uh, who is God's wrath meant to be carried out upon, according to Paul, by the governing authorities? Evildoers. Evil Notice it doesn't say unbelievers. Right? It's not saying that the government's supposed to bring the wrath to bear on those who aren't Christians. It's those who are doing evil, which could include Christians. Right? It could include, include people who do... It's just, it doesn't matter what it is, but if you're doing wrong... If you're committing evils against others, then the government has the authority from God to be a terror to the evildoer. Right? So, um, let's see here. Conversely, if the government is doing things that is against God, then we have the right to disobey. Right, and that's a whole separate thing. <laughs> so, but yeah, so that's yeah. We're we're but we're we're operating within what uh, what Paul says right there. But you're right, yeah. And I mean that's the whole found, the idea of the founding is that. That the government had had so violated right. the rights of its people that to to be no government at all, and so and so yeah, um, yeah. So uh, um, let's see here. Uh, but it's interesting how this authority of God and um, includes pagan authorities. It includes pagan governments like Rome and others, and that's still true today. And so um, and so this and, and so. And so God has given the authority and responsibility to restrain evil by the sword domestically to governments and nations. And by implication, this would mean international relations as well, that 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 there's a responsibility of the nations to restrain the evil of other nations. Right. And that this is a responsibility that as humanity, we owe to God. And so even if even if we're dealing, even pagan nations have that and God will use them to help restrain evil, even if they don't believe in him. So this moves us um, into, into um, let's see here. So, the, the, so this, but this brings us to the question of when does the, the proper authority, the government, have just cause for taking up the sword, right? Um, so um, uh, the other day, um, uh, uh, I was asked, um, you know, uh, 
why does it, uh, or I think, Buzz, weren't you asking me, like, why do team cop shows and stuff always talk about, like, when a cop fires, he's like, I don't want to shoot my gun because then I got to fill out a bunch of paperwork. And so, you know, it's like, it's like, um, and so they're always talking about paperwork on police shows and stuff like that. And, you know, and it was like, and it's like, like, look, things can go wrong with bureaucracy and all that paperwork. That's, I get that. There's criticism there. But when you have people who can legally shoot other people and kill them, you want a lot of rules in place for when that's justified, right? <laughs> so the people who are legally authorized to go around shooting people, you, there's got to be a lot of rules in place that govern whether or not they are allowed to do that, right? And so likewise, what, uh, what rules are in place, what rules ought governments ought to follow, just because they have the authority to declare war, what rules ought they, are, uh, ought they to follow to be able to declare war justly, right? And so, and so there are different uh, types of wars that we can think of in uh, different cases where war may be necessary. And so, um, and we mentioned it before. So first uh, we have, on the one side, we have uh, defensive wars, right? We talked about self-defense. And then, then you get into offensive wars, which you can break into two aspects of punitive and reparative uh, things. And we'll talk about those in just a moment. But first let's talk about defensive And here we have uh, Nehemiah 4.14. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to to the officials, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Now, can we think of a situation going on where where this type of situation may be true right now? Ukraine. Ukraine. Literally, right? Where you have towns that are being invaded and people are, I mean, the Ukrainians are motivated because they are literally fighting for their families. They're fighting for their hometowns. And so they're, and so, you know, and they don't have anywhere else to go. And so they're, and so they're, and so they're fighting for it. So, you know, this is clearly a, you know, just cause for war is when you're being invaded and you're defending your home, you're defending your homeland. There's, um, uh, so you're, and then let's see here, I'm going to. Skip past, skip past this one. It goes goes on. <clears throat> um, and so these, uh, and so these, but but it's it's interesting though because this passage is not, um, it's not holy war, right? This is not this is not holy war. This is defensive war. This is defending war. And so um, now, but th- this would move us over into offensive because I mean defensive is fairly. Self-explanatory, but offensive wars are more complicated. Now, I do want to highlight. I was talking to Matt recently, and um, and he and I asked him, you know, is there is there anything that you would change about our our what we teach on this stuff that now that you've been studying it for you know the better part of a year and and getting into it? And he was like, thankfully, no, we didn't like because I was like, did we miss any major stuff? Did we really screw things up? Like, what what's the deal? There's a couple of amateurs, but um, but he said no. He said he said, but one thing that he would add though is that. Um, a, even a defensive war cannot stay defensive exclusively. It at, mu- at some point has to become offensive. At some point, they have to do, do that, or else you're always on the defensive and it never ends. Yeah. And so, and so, and that and you're running that conundrum right now with Ukraine, right? And so, you know, it's like everyone's, you know, right now everyone's happy to supply them as long as they're defending themselves. But at a certain point. You know, they have to be careful because if they get viewed as being 
very aggressive and start pushing back. And if they have great success against the Russian forces, where they're able to drive them all the way back and out of Ukraine, well, can they drive all the way into Moscow? You know, and be like, and be like, we're going to make sure that you don't you don't invade us again, Putin. You know, would they have the right to do so? We did it multiple times. You know, in places. You know, we drove in, we changed the leader, like because they were a threat to us, and it's like. But if the Ukrainians do that, will they lose a lot of support? Because now it's not a defensive war. But at a certain point, defensive has to turn to offensive, or else it's never going to end. It's never going to stop for the person that's defending themselves. So that was one nuance that Matt said he would add to that idea of the defensive aspect that you can't, it's not as clean cut that, that you have to get offensive at a certain point. But then you get into these other questions um, and you know, the questions and, and this brings us, and this is going to bring back to our, our, our friends from last time. Uh, um, so uh, Francisco de Vitoria. So, you know, our, our favorite Franciscan uh, uh, Francisco. Um, and so, uh, but he's, he was the one that talked about, you know, in an offensive war, um, he's saying, look, it is okay to avenge losses that like in terms of your stolen possessions, um, damages that were caused um, uh, by citizens of other nations. Uh, and and so, you know, we you know, we got hit in 9-11. And so what do we do? We invaded Afghanistan. Right. And so we said, we are going to make sure this isn't going to happen again. We are avenging what happened to us. And we know that this place is harboring these terrorists. So we're going to invade this country and we're going to um, and we're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. Now, we didn't declare war against Afghanistan, but we definitely violated their sovereignty. Right. We definitely said we're not declaring a war on you. We're just sending all our military into your country. And because you guys are helping these terrorists out and we're going to. We're, and we're going to take it. And so, and not take the land, but to take, to take the terrorists down. Um, also, regime change, we mentioned that. Um, but in that case, he said, look, it's, you only do regime change if their ruler is, is threatening future peace. If they give up, and he's just, you know, it's like, but then, then you would do regime change. Um, but still, the punishment's got to fit the crime, and you still need to be merciful. Like, you can't just go, you can't do the whole thing where it's like, you defeat the enemy, you can do whatever you want to them, all right? You've still got to be merciful. And then, and then skip over to Grotius, uh, Grotius and, he, and what he does is he, um, and he, talks, he brings in the, uh, the aspect of preemptive strikes. And this is, and preemptive strikes are really hard. They're really hard to figure out because it's kind of like, um, it's like the coach who does the trick play and it doesn't work. Or it does work, right? If it doesn't work, everyone goes, what a fool. If it does work, they'll say it was brilliant, right? And so kind of like with a preemptive strike, it's like you do a preemptive strike successful, then there's a lot of people who go, well, it wasn't necessary, right? Um, or it fails, and they're like, well, that was dumb, right? You shouldn't have done that. And so there's, it's a, and it's also hard to know. And, it, and I was reading one paper on this, and they, and they described a scenario as like, you know, what if you have a neighbor who's kind of mentally unstable, they've made some threats, you, re- you know that they recently bought a gun, you see, you know, you, you see them stalking around the backyard, look eyeballing, you, eyeballing your house, you know, and just, and you just, they're not making direct threats, but they are starting to escalate, things, tensions are rising, they have the capability to do damage, 
what do you do? You know, it's like it's just, it, and you put that on a national stage. What do you do when uh, when play, you know when countries and places are th- making threats against you? You know, um, you know, you know. Should we attack everyone who makes a threat against us? I mean, North Koreans have been threatening to destroy us forever, right? Why don't we just go in and wipe them out? Preemptive strike. We, we don't really believe they have the power and the yeah. intention to attack. Yeah. Whereas for Gaddafi, we went in because there seemed to be the reality that he had shown he could carry out his threats. And when we did, he did. You know, it, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, do they have the capability to actually do the damage? You know, for North Korea, we're uh, not saying that they're not evil or that the, the regime is not evil, but just, but, but we're just the boogeyman that the dictator uses to keep himself in power. Yeah. And so he just talks garbage and just says, you know, and convinced everyone that we're just desperate to go take over. North Korea, because it's such prime real estate for some reason, and and just kind of like um, and that uh, and that the only thing holding them back is the mighty Kim Jong Un, you know, and you're just kind of like as Americans, we're just like y'all are silly, you know, like that's just goofy nonsense. Um, and so, but we also just like look. Also, we talked about the, mentioned it before. What if you go take him out and the next guy's worse? Yeah. Right. We've seen that happen. We've seen it happen. So, um, and so it's just... That's like the gutty neighbor. You know, maybe he's aggravating. Maybe he's putting around trees at you. But if you shoot him, you know, his brother might be the guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was in college when we went into 9-11. I mean, when we went in Afghanistan. And then when we went into going to Iraq. And now, and, and there's, and, and there's, you know, and, all, and it seems like a lot of the consensus today is that it was wrong to go in Iraq. And, and, and everyone agrees the intelligence was bad. But no one thought the intelligence was bad at the time. Everybody agreed. Multinational. Didn't matter. It was Britain, German, America. Everyone said he's, he's, got, he's got the goods. And so they went in. But, um, but I will also tell you that, we, that at a, as a military college, at a military college, we had guys coming back from deployments, from service, coming in and saying, and, and also the, some of the criticism is, by getting rid of Saddam Hussein, we destabilized the country, made everything worse, and things like that. And I was like, yeah, that may be true. But you know what? Also, I had reports coming back from firsthand accounts from people saying they saw the torture rooms. They saw what Saddam and his men had personally done to human beings, body parts and other horrific things. I don't even want to describe. And, and where this I mean, he was an absolute monster and his regime was monstrous. So to go, you know, and so it's so it, but I mean, these, it's kind of like it is rock in a hard place. Right. It's, it's evil options. And so, yeah, it may have destabilized the country, maybe nationally speaking, it wasn't a good, a good idea. But at the same time, you're also like, there's still a part of me that is glad that that guy is dead and that he's not in power anymore. But even if I'm not happy with where it's at now, and, you know, it's just, it's complicated, right? The stuff gets really, really complicated. Well, let's move over into right intent. We only have a few minutes left. So um, right intent, we have several scriptures here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself unless you go to war. That's what Jesus said, right? <laughs> no, he says, actually, you still are loving your neighbor and you still need to seek to love your neighbor even if he's, a, a, you know, across in a different uniform at war. It doesn't mean that you don't shoot the guy. It doesn't mean that you don't go to war. 
but it does mean that, uh, that, that our intent is still to love our neighbor and to restore peace and prosperity to whatever degree we can. Um, Proverbs 24, verses 17 and 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let, none, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from him. And finally, Romans twelve seventeen, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. The question here is, how can we go to war justly against some uh, country, a people that have done great wrong without hating them, without hatred of them? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's the idea, and I think this is where, and we'll talk more about this when we get to the, the, the very last session, but it's the idea of serving the Lord, seeking justice without delighting, um, like the last slide said, without delighting in the death of the enemy. So just saying, saying like, you can celebrate victory, but we don't celebrate that, you know, um, oh man, I'm so glad we killed all those ragheads. You know, I'm, oh, I'm so glad that we, we uh, you know, I'm so uh, delighting in it and delighting in the, in, in, the, in the human life and the death. Like we don't delight in that. We delight in the justice of God. We delight in peace being restored. We delight in victory and, and, and people in our people being um, rescued or, um, or being successful in accomplishing the mission. Like there's lots of things to delight in and to glory in. Um, um, and be thankful for. Um, but one thing that God says he himself does not delight in is the death of the wicked. And so if God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, then we should be careful not to as well. And when we're engaging with someone as an enemy, enemy of combat, as Christians, we believe that everyone is created by God. So they have a certain human dignity Mm-hmm. And so we treat people even if we were engaged in war with them. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we treat them with dignity to the degree that we can. We're going to show mercy. Yeah. And and that you know, and and that's a whole different way that we should be treating people in a in a, in a war situation than a non-Christian would. Yeah. But but it has to do with recognizing they're they're created by God as well. And you know, when we 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 can teach our children. You know, we talk about sportsmanship, teaching. Children have to, even in victory, mm-hmm. to be gracious, and it's really hard to be a gracious winner. Yeah, we can, you know, it's much easier to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you know, say, yeah, I gave a good effort, you know, for loss. Yeah, but yeah. You know, but we got to translate those. Yeah. You know, well, and, and yeah, and, and we'll get into more of that in just conduct. And so I know it's ten forty six. I know choir uh, is choir doing today. No choir today. Okay, sorry. Um, so we, we're going to wrap up real fast. So. Um, so last thing was, is uh, last resort. We talked about this earlier. Um, there must be last resort um, after um, the uh, – and so that the um, – we give the enemy an opportunity to, to change their ways. And also I thought this was interesting that Cicero, he wrote that, um, you, that you – one of the purposes of a war declaration is to give the enemy an opportunity to not go to war. 
that one of the purposes of declaring war, why war needs to be declared, is to let the enemy know, we are at war now unless you change. This is it. We are now going to war. You know, like, and it's just, and so that it is the absolute last, uh, you know, before bullets start flying. It's the last, very last thing that says, okay, declaration, we are at war now unless something changes immediately. I thought that was interesting that you could declare war in the hopes for peace. You know? It's like getting into a fist fight, like, the last resort is not the teeth out. You tell him, I'm about to do this. Yes, yeah. 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 And, 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 and so this is, so that here's the very last thing here um, on proportionality. Um, here we have, uh, we have, he's quoting, he's, work, he's summarized from Wittoria here, but, uh, um, and, it's and basically the idea here is uh, we talked about this is proportionality. We're talking proportionality within just conduct later, in terms of how you respond, in terms of uh, how much power you do you use. But here is proportionality: is it worth going to war? Um, you know, is uh, is it is it worth it? Um, we'd already talked about you know um, one one evil tyrant could be you know replaced by an even worse one. Uh, now. Um, also, one may have just cause to reclaim something, but the war that it would provoke may not be worth it. So we went in to Pakistan to go get Osama bin Laden, right? We violated Pakistan's sovereignty to go do that, and they certainly didn't feel like it was worth it to go to war with us for doing that, right? They were like, we're not going to go for it. You know, we're not going to do that even though you came in and ex- you know, executed a military operation within our borders, um, you know. It's, uh, we're not going to go do that. Or another example is December 2016, China stole a U.S. Navy buoyancy glider in international waters. And so it's, it was illegal. It could serve as a cause for just war, right? They stole something that wasn't ours, that wasn't theirs. They took our property, but we deemed that it was not worth it to get, to get into a military conflict with China over this particular piece of equipment. So... But also you have examples of proportionality. Is it worth it? Is it worth it right now? There's a lot of those questions going on uh, talking about weighing should the U.S. get involved with the Ukraine-Russia conflict? You know, is it worth it? What's it going to cost? And so just, and, um, and so just, to, and just to conclude, um, here's this passage from Jesus. It says, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And so he's, he's using this to talk about discipleship, but there's a secondary application do, we can do here, which is to say that he is saying that he is using this as an example of what a reasonable king does. He weighs his options. Can I win? I can't win. Well, I'm going to go try to make peace with this guy before he takes me down. Right, and so that's that's proportionality in just war. All right, so that's it. Thank you all so much.